Hi, my name's Gavin Chase, and welcome to the Chasing Care podcast. I'm your host. This is a new season, and I'm delighted to say we have an amazing guest list lined up to talk about such things as residential care homes, nursing homes, supported living, home care, live-in care, all things around your local community. If you're a care provider, or currently receiving care, or perhaps thinking about care for a cherished family member, then this is the place you should be. So let's strap in and get the show on the road. I think the awareness is, is, is very limited, it's very low. So it's not only among the public, it's, it's uh, also amongst the professionals. Because sometimes we talk to social workers, we talk to people from local authorities, and they're surprised when we say that we provide live-in and this is how live-in works. Hi and welcome to the Chasing Care podcast. On today's episode, I'm delighted to say that we have a leading expert in living care. Let me just introduce you to Greg from ProMedica24. Morning, Greg. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. Hi, Gavin. Now, for the audience, they won't know you. Introduce yourself. Hello, everyone. My name is Greg. I'm from ProMedica24. I'm a country manager uh, responsible for the UK market. Uh, ProMedica24 is one of the Europe's largest living care providers. We're specializing in living care. Okay. How long have ProMedica been in the UK and delivering this service? Since 2030, it's 10 years in the UK and uh, 20 years in Europe. Okay. So living care. For those that don't know, what is it? Paint us a picture. It is, it is an amazing alternative for people who are looking for care. So basically with living, uh, the care worker is moving in to the service user house and provide one-to-one -one personal care, uh, which is tailor-made to the person's needs uh, and is there 24 seven, uh, supporting that person, no matter whether it's companionship or, or more complex need, you know, sometimes it is that there is a need for one, sometimes there is a need for, for more care workers to support the person. But basically the, the rule is that the care worker will move in and live with the person. And, and how long have, has, has this service been available to people? Um, in the UK, it's it's not something that everyone knows about. I just wonder where the, the roots of this came from and, and how ProMedica established themselves in the UK. At least 10 years, because we are here uh, for 10 years, but I think it's, it's longer than that. However, <clears throat> I think historically, all the residential settings were the primary choice for people, or they were suggested by social workers and local authorities that if you need care, care home or, uh, or nursing home will be the best place for you. We know that when people are in need for care, they are in the crisis mode. So they don't have a headspace to look around for every single available option. They will choose what was advised to them by professional. And I think you know, the service is not as promoted as it should be by everyone. There's a lot of people that provide unpaid support for loved ones, isn't there? Probably thousands of, of people that are unpaid carers. How would you differentiate something like living care from what they're actually providing to their family member? 
the, the main difference is that the care is being provided by the professional. All the carers are trained, assessed professionally. We, we check all the details about them, references, employment history, DBS, everything. And I think, although it's, it's really important to support our loved ones, it's also important to take care of ourselves, yeah, to give ourselves a bit of break from time to time. Even if you want to take care of your loved ones on a daily basis, sometimes it'd be great to have someone who will step in for two weeks or three weeks and support during that time. You can take a step back and, and take a break. We, we had cases like, for example, one of our clients, his mum was taking care for him for, for the whole life uh, but she reached the point that now she doesn't want to be a carer anymore she loves him absolutely but it's just you know she's at this age that she wants to take a step back and allow a professional to step in and take care of all the needs of, of, of that person i think that that's the main difference and i'm guessing that living care as a service having spoken to uh, we had alex palmer from noble living care on the show last week and she was saying that it's, it's not just the elderly either. It, it can be 18 plus. Explain Absolutely. how that might work. Absolutely. Quite often care is associated with age, especially older age, uh, which is not the case because some people are born with conditions uh, like cerebral palsy uh, and they need care from their early days. And yes, we as Prometica 24, we're happy to support people who are 18 plus and the whole purpose is that to allow people to, to live their lives to the fullest. Yeah. We have a client who is a, a barrister. So the carer can support, and he's paralyzed. The carer can support him to, to be able to work, carry, carry documents with him, helping to get to the, to the court. But it's just enabling people to, to live their lives. So it's not always someone who is in their nineties. We've got clients who are in their 20s who are students and the caregivers are there to support them to get to the uni to to help with uh, with learning sometimes to play playstation together it's just to, to have someone that's incredible i mean i have read about uh, people supporting individuals as you say students through university and and i guess that that is a a form of the the living care support because they they have to be there 24 7 to help that person Imagine a situation that you're in your 20s, you don't always want to be with your parents. When I was 20, I didn't want to live with my mom, with my dad. It was just, I just wanted to move out. And that, that is the opportunity. That's, the, that's one of the options. I'm not saying that's the only option. That's why I said at the beginning, it's important to, to show different, op different available options to people, not only residential, not only domiciliary, but all available options so people can make an informed decision about what type of care would be best for them. Because I would say, you know, if someone needs to be supported one hour a day, we wouldn't push for living because that would limiting someone's independence. But if there is more needs, that the needs are more complex or there is a need for more attention every day, then I think living is, is absolutely great alternative. How aware from your experience at ProMedica, you've been doing this for, for 10 years. How aware would you say that the, the public are in the UK that this is something that they might ask for? I think the awareness is, is, is very limited. It's very low. 
So it's not only among the public, it's, it's uh, also amongst the professionals because sometimes we, oh, really? we talk to, yeah, yeah. Sometimes we talk to social workers. We talk to people from local authorities and they're surprised when we say that we provide living and this is how living works. And they're surprised. And uh, quite often they say, oh, it's absolutely amazing that because it will allow someone to stay at their own place and enjoy everything that they enjoyed on the daily basis. So if someone wants to stay with their pet or have their local community close, stay close to their friends, there is no need to go to the care home or yeah. So, so basically you can enjoy all the aspects of your life and being you know, supported by someone. That awareness, I would say low, but we are doing our best to increase that awareness. Yes. It's always difficult, isn't it? To raise awareness with with professionals that are sometimes, hate to use the phrase, but Alex used it last week, stuck in their ways and maybe unsure as to how to commission live-in care because they've never done it. And I mean, how would you describe the, the process if you were looking at that as an alternative to either residential care homes, nursing homes, domiciliary care, these, these sort of things? Is it remarkably different in what you do as a provider for them? No, I would say there is not much difference because as other care providers who are CQC registered, like we are, so we have to do all the work to, to understand the person's needs. We have a trained, a qualified care team who will conduct the care assessment, will make sure that we understand the needs of the person and uh, following that, uh, we'll, we'll advise how we can support and then the person can take, make a decision whether they think this is something for them or not. But I think process-wise, if, if someone from the district team or local authorities, if, if they're afraid that the process will be significantly different, it, it is not. That's interesting. And you mentioned that ProMedica are a CQC regulated company. And, yes. and I've spoken before on podcasts about the difference broadly with a CQC regulated company and an introduction agency from the CQC regulated side, just explain to the audience what that actually means. What differentiates you as a company and what you do from somebody else? The difference is that we are legally obliged to follow the regulations and we don't do it only because we're legally obliged. We think that's the right thing to do. As I said before, all of our care workers are, are properly vetted. We follow the regulations 19 of the current health and care act. So we make sure that we know the full employment history, that we know the gaps in the employment history to make sure that the person in a jail, <laughs> for example, yeah. we check the references, we check the DBS, we check all of these things. We provide a professional training to our carers because this is our obligation and this is what we think is the right thing to do. So uh, that's one of the differences between a regulated um, care provider and the intra-agency. But also we have all necessary insurance in place that if someone if something happens, person who is receiving care can be assured that and we, we are insured and, and, and they are protected as well. I'm not sure if that's always the case with the intra-agencies, uh, because basically the intra-agency 
will introduce the care worker to the family. And then all the dealings are between the services or the family of the services and the care worker. They will decide how they want this to work. There is no care team in place in such settings. So can they make sure that the needs of, of the person is properly and they identified? I don't know. From the introduction agency side, it sounds as if the family has to make decisions about the care provision as, and, and they're responsible day to day for effectively managing the carer. What, what happens for, for a regulated care provider? How do you ensure the service day to day is at the right level? So first of all, as I said, we, we, we have a, uh, professional qualified care team registered manager, care managers who are responsible for making sure that the care plan is prepared, that it is reviewed on the regular basis. Let me just ask the question. You've mentioned a care plan a couple of times. Some people won't understand what that means. Could you just explain what a care plan is? It's basically a, a detailed description of person needs, likes, dislikes, what they would like to do, what they wouldn't like to do, how would they would like to be taken care of, uh, what are their conditions, who are the professionals who will be involved in the care provision as well. So it's basically a detailed description of, of the needs of the person and how the care will be provided. Because at the end of the day, the care worker will also receive a description like how, how the care should be provided. There is guidance, there is an information like this, this is what this person likes. This is what this person dislikes. Uh, they would like to go to the local pub every Wednesday. So we know all of that. Plus all the turning. And you say introduction agencies are not going to be doing that part of it at all. You know, having a care manager or, or registered manager would indicate that they would have to be CQC regulated and straight away, they would step into a different world. That's interesting. Because legally speaking, they, they cannot be engaged in any care provision. So from your side of the fence, then you've, you've got a care worker in somebody's home. They're living there 24 seven. Yes. How do you ensure that they're delivering the care that is required that has been agreed under the care plan? And what's the difference between that, again, just to make it absolutely clear to the audience, if an introduction agency puts or introduces a carer, what do you think they're doing that you're not or you're doing that they're not? I think that they can't do anything. They're just the intermediate between the family and the carer in regards to in introducing the carer. And in case that the carer needs a break, uh, they will, they will be looking for replacement. But I think this is where their role is. a recruitment sits. agency? More or less. Yes. Okay. And what do you do then day to day with, uh, with your living carer in somebody's home? How do you manage them and, and make sure that service is being delivered correctly and, and make sure that the family's happy, I guess, and, and the service user are happy. How, how do you do all yeah. that? So as I said, initially we prepare a care plan. This care plan is always in the person's house. It's available there. 
We have our care team who regularly visit the family and visit the care workers. They will do spot check supervisions. They will talk to the, to the service users. They will talk to the family members. They will ask like, how are the things going? Are there any changes in needs? Do we need to adjust the care plan? We've got the emergency line available 24-7. If something happens, or the services of the family member, neighbors, the care workers can just give us a call and we will, we will make sure that the care manager will, will go there as soon as possible. Okay, so it's a fully managed service 24-7 then? Yes. Yeah. Hmm. I don't think introduction agencies have that level of interest in what, what goes on in somebody's home, that's for sure. I'm not sure if it's about interest, as I said, legally speaking, if they would become involved in the care provision, they would have to be CQC regulated. And it's a completely different world because all of a sudden you're from the, my, my background is in finance, from their perspective, their overheads would increase significantly because they would have to make sure that they will employ right people, that they will introduce new processes in place. And yeah. I, I think it's, it's more about legally, they, they cannot do it. We've touched on CQC regulation. Maybe I should have made it quite clear. The CQC is the care quality commission and you say you're regulated by them. What does that mean in, in real terms? What, what are you, I mean, I know that like this financial services authority in the UK, people are aware of of what they do, but what, what is the relationship you have and what they're doing for the customer? It's a very good question because we, we've, we've did a bit of research some time ago and it appeared that only around 40, 45% of people are aware of the existence of care quality commission. So the care quality commission is a, is a, is a regulator for the health and care sector. It's not only care providers, it's GPs, hospitals dental clinics, many different places. It's like an equivalent of Boston in schools and nurseries. So, so you're regulated it, by the same organization that regulates hospitals and doctors. Yes. Well, that's important Absolutely. for people to be clear about, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's really important because, and, and as I said before, there are regulations that we're obliged to follow. And as I said, also, we, we don't only do it because we, we have to, it's because we believe that's the right thing to do. From the services perspective, it is important to understand that CQC is there to protect them, but also to protect providers and also to protect carers. Every single part of this equation is, is to the extent supported by, by the Care Quality Commission. What happens if, uh, if the family are, are are really disappointed, upset, and, and they want to complain. What, they have all the right to do it. They can raise it with the CQC. They can raise it with the safeguarding team if, if it's something that they believe it should be raised. Sometimes we have to raise the safeguarding if there is a need. They, they have all the rights to, to complain to the CQC. And CQC will raise this complaint. They can decide to inspect the care provider. They do inspections, not only because something was raised, they regularly inspect care providers, hospitals, as I said, but also if there will be something that will catch their attention, they can come and inspect. And at the end of this inspection, they will issue a report that will confirm what they found. Hmm. 
and we often they hear rate... don't we, about residential care homes that are unfit for purpose it gets in the news quite a bit doesn't it are you monitored in the same way maybe like a school just to put it into perspective for people that are listening Ofsted regulates schools everybody sees the reports on the schools they're rated good outstanding etc what about uh, your business and, uh, and what you deliver in live-in care is that measured in the same way yeah, yeah. Same as care homes, because we, we can be rated one of the four ratings. We are rated good. So there's only, only one better rating than, than ours, which is outstanding. Uh, but just to give people perspective, good is really good because if CQC gives you good, it means that you're actually good. Uh, then you've got uh, requires improvements and inadequate. I think we're quite proud to be, to be good. Sounds as if it's also therefore important that uh, people seek out the CQC and check up on the companies that they're talking to. That said, if you're an introduction agency, you don't have to be regulated by CQC. And I guess that they get measured by things like Trustpilot and, and Glassdoor. And that those are the only yeah. ways you can measure their quality. It's measured by... It's measured by the reviews, not by the inspection, not by a professional who will, who will come and do a thorough inspection of the service, because it's not like, it's, it's not a phone call with, uh, with someone from the company. It's, it's a proper inspection. The inspector will come visit, uh, look at every single aspect of the business. They will talk to the care workers. They will talk to service users, the family members, employees of, of the provider. And based on, on all of this, they will write a report, which is available on the CQC website, which every provider should put on their websites to make it available to people. And I think it's, it's, it's really important for people who are seeking for care to read those reports because you can, you can find really important things in these reports. I remember when I put my children into school, I went to Ofsted and I read the reports on the school to make sure that I understood all levels of uh, the service that they offer, because there's many ways to measure it. It's not just on the academic side, is it? It's mm -hmm. safeguarding and those sort of things. And I'm guessing that that's the sort of thing that CQC would do. Yes, that's, that's correct. And you mentioned, just to pick up on a point, again, I think this is really important for people listening today. If you are CQC regulated, you're required to put your CQC badge on your website to tell everybody that you're regulated and this is the level that you've achieved with them. Is that correct? I'm just jumping into this episode, which I hope you're enjoying to ask for a favor. It's really important to us to get likes, shares, following and comments about the Chasing Care podcast in order to build the audience. So if you know anybody that's in the care sector or thinking about care for a family member, maybe you could like, recommend and share. Let's get back to the episode. Yes. And it should be easily accessible and visible to people that are visiting okay. their website. You're not hiding it from, from people. It's yeah. like, we, we, we are yeah. proud of our ratings. I'm more than happy to present it, but I know that there are some providers who had some more difficult periods. They were rated inadequate or requires improvement and, and they prefer to, yeah. to, to hide it, but it is one of the requirements of the CQC to make sure that it's visible to people on your website. And if they don't have it on their website, 
you should probably just still make sure that you understand if they are CQC regulated and go to the website cqc.org.uk and check them out. And if they're implying that they are some way related to the CQC, it might be that they're just an introduction agency. Um, so be careful to understand if they're a provider or an introduction agency. There's, there's a tricky way to, to say it. We are regulated and registered with the CQC. What I've heard, they're recognized by the CQC, which is true because they are recognized by the CQC. So it's a magic of, of words. It depends what words you're going to use. That's a subject that I'll probably pick up on another, another day because I, it's one of those things that gets my goat. I mentioned it to Alex Palmer from Noble Care last episode. All of the, the production agencies that imply that they have some relationship to the CQC when in fact they have no relationship with the CQC other than the fact they might be recognized as an employment agency or an introduction agency. So audience, if you're listening in, make sure you absolutely clearly understand the difference between a provider and an introduction agency. Let's just move on for a few moments, if I may. A lot of people who might be listening in might be sitting there going, oh, live in care, my house isn't big enough. Oh, live in care, I live in a two-bedroom flat. I can't have that. That's not going to work for me. Just explain, what are the minimum requirements for somebody that might be thinking about this is a great idea? They'll be fully supported, food, out, traveling around, doing their education, maybe work. Paint a picture for, for the listener. What, what are the minimum requirements for you as a provider to be able to deliver service? That it's a safe place and there is enough of private, safe space for the carer to move in. Because we all know everyone needs privacy. And, and that's, the, that's the main requirement. That there is a private space for the carer. That the carer can move in and have their own wardrobe, their own bed. That's the main requirement. I've got a two-bedroom flat. I've got a spare bedroom. Yes. That's it. Yes. So I don't need a big house with a separate building or. No, you don't need to live in mansion. Again, as, as you said, it's probably a, a two bedroom. That's, that's the minimum that you need because it is about dignity and it's about privacy. We need to, and we want to give our carers a, a private space when they can take a rest, when they can have their own time, watch a movie. Do something yeah. for, for themselves. So yeah, you don't need to live in a big, big house. I have got two kids and I feel sometimes as if I'm the live-in carer for two kids. The challenge for me is I seem to be available 24 seven. Every time they shout dad, I'm going to respond. How does it work for the living carer day to day? What, what will they be doing and how available are they to the person that you're supporting? It all depends on the person's needs. So it's, you can try to paint a picture of the, the day of their living carer, but it's all different because as I said, our service is, is, is a one-to-one 
tailor-made, person-centered. We have uh, less than 200 clients in the UK. The characters are there. Obviously, they, they do not work for 20, 24 hours, seven days a week. They uh, have breaks. They have time for their own, for themselves. For every client that we support, for every services that we support, we, we create a daily routine. And that's the indication for the carer as well. Like this is, this is how the day should look like. But of course, talk to the service user. If, if they want to do something different, if they want to do something else, uh, that's all right. We, we support a positive risk taking. They would like to try something new. We will support them in that we'll assess the risks and make sure that they can do it in a safe way, because otherwise you're just limiting, uh, people with independence, as I said. Everyone is different. Every day will be different. And paint a picture for some of those successes that you've had with some clients. This, this might be interesting to hear. Give us an example of where you've moved into somebody's home, providing living care, and, and you've made a difference to their lives. So I was talking about this example yesterday with my, with my colleagues. So we are supporting a lady who is bedbound and she felt at, at home that she's basically for 10 hours a day looking at the ceiling and she thought that, okay, it will be better to move to the residential setting. And ultimately she said that it was just a different ceiling she was looking at. Just a different ceiling. Yeah. I can, that makes sense to me. She decided to try living care and, and that was a big difference because all of a sudden you've got someone who has a full attention and residential. The carer will take care of multiple people. In the mistlery, someone will pop in for one hour, two hours, or, or 30 minutes. Live in. You, you have this someone with you. So at the beginning, it was again lying on the bed. Then they started to sit down. Then they started to move into the wheelchair. Try different things. That uh, was a significant change. And then, then we are super proud about this. From staring at a ceiling to moving around in a wheelchair, I guess, is the person able to get out of the house now? Yes. Everything needs to be done in a safe way. So again, we will assess the risk, but we'll try to help that person to lift their life to the fullest. And that's one of the challenges for the, you mentioned about residential care homes. I just pick up on that. Because families often think this is the only option that they have. Uh, they put mum or dad into a care home, don't they? And it's probably eight to one ratio on average, something like that. That means eight mm. uh, service users in the, in the home and, and one carer looking after that. They're not going to get that full attention. And statistically, I've read in the past that it's something like, like only 30% of people in residential care homes actually leave the building. So it's, it must be very prison-like in my opinion. I know they, they do social events, but eight to one care means to say that it's not one-to-one -one, and therefore you might end up sitting in a room with lots of other people and you might not want to sit in the room with lots of other people, but you do want some company. You do want to share yeah. something with someone. Yeah. And, and because when we were talking initially, as we were talking about leave-in, it's not always about personal care. Sometimes it's about companionship. Sometimes it's just about having someone to talk to, someone who will help you with some domestic stuff, like cooking, cleaning. No, it, it doesn't always is about uh, care. Sometimes it's just to have someone there with you.
Yeah. And if your mum or your dad lives 200 miles away from you as a family member, as a daughter or a son, you're not going to be able to drive there to, to look after mum or dad every day of the week, are you? Which is probably no. why people get put into residential care homes. Yes, but you know, when you mentioned that long distance, you recall a, a case that I read about on the internet. I was on the LinkedIn, someone left a comment under one of our posts that lady was, um, was being discharged from the hospital. And again, they weren't presented with all the options. They were just informed that they secured a place in a care home, which is 80 miles away from, from where they live. So yeah, now imagine that you want to visit your mom, your, your, your loved ones, 80 miles, that's a 160 miles round trip. Uh, it's difficult to do it every day. Mm. And we put that down to the discharge team in the, the hospital, probably not knowing that living care is an option and certainly the family not knowing to ask. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's I think it's about this. It's, it's awareness and it's about what we as providers do to increase this awareness, but it's, it's not only providers because it needs to be from all angles that, you know, there will be education from, from the top and, and from the bottom. So we will try to educate the public and so we also try to, to educate the, the local authorities, the NHS, the, the social workers, and I'm not saying in the way that in a negative way, it's just, if you don't know about something, you will not offer this as a, as an option or present it as, a, as an option to other people. So try to do it on, on two levels. So right, we do it on two levels. So on the national level and on the local level, the national level, we, we use social media, we use PR, we talk to, we talk to the government about living one of our successes that I'm, I'm quite proud of is like during the COVID, there were many guidances released by the department for health and social care NCQC, but they were always for residential and domiciliary care. There were nothing specific for living. So we were talking a lot with our contacts from, uh, from the Department of Business and Trades. And ultimately, our conversations resulted with specific guidance being asked for, for live-in. Oh, that was great because that was exactly what we were talking about. Increasing awareness of people on the top so they are able to spread this awareness. But we also try to do it and we also do it on the, on the local level. So we have an amazing uh, team of franchisees who work in their local areas, talk to people, engage with charities, engage with uh, different groups that are ambition uh, focused. And, and they uh, spread the awareness about, about living, about this, this type of, uh, we work with other care providers as well. Uh, I believe in the sector, we should consider ourselves colleagues rather than competitors. And then yeah, we're trying to work together to. Uh, increase the awareness about care in general, because I think the big problem in society, not necessarily with this, is that we are not planning for care. So when people are starting to look for care, it means that they're in the crisis mode. Something happens. Uh, someone they, is being discharged from the hospital and they need to find the care provider within two days, or there was an incident, something happened and they need to find the care provider as soon as possible and nobody's planning. Nobody's is looking at this. You know, oh, in 20 years, I will probably need, or mom or dad will probably need a carer. What do I do now to make sure that in 20 years we'll be able to afford it? We'll be able to 
will understand all the available options. Even looking at myself, I, I work in the care sector. And only last year, I, I had this conversation with my mother about, okay, what do we do in 30 years? Luckily, she's also strongly related to their health and care. So it was easy to have this conversation, easier to have this conversation. That certainly uh, sounds like a conversation that maybe you and I can have again on the on the Chasing Care podcast, looking at the future and funding and those sort of things. Um, it, I, I agree with you. It's like children needing to plan for their pensions at the age of five. You know, they need to start being t told about you need to save money because in the UK, the government hasn't got the money to pay a pension these days. You've got to look after yourself. Care is just another classic one of those. And there's all kinds of things that were being talked about now as an equity release and those sort of things. Yes, that's certainly a subject we can talk with you again, I'm sure, on chasing care. The one thing I'd just like to touch on, there's a lot of belief in the market from my understanding that living care is really a private sector thing. You pay for it yourself. Is, can you get it through the local authority, through the public sector? Is that possible? Yes, it's absolutely possible. So let's say King Ads. Looking at us, we're probably 70, 30 more towards private than public, but it's still available. It all depends on the local authority, basically, because there is no common approach amongst the local authorities. You will have, you will have ICBs or NHS and local authorities, which are fully aware and more than happy to commission living and they're happy to pay even more than what we charge. We charge what we charge. We don't, we don't go the way that we'll charge more to local authorities. No. Uh, there are others who are not so keen to look at living or they're not aware about living or if they are aware, they, they believe that what they offer to pay sometimes it wouldn't even cover the salary of the carer. So they, theoretically, they, they know about this, but they're not so keen to, to do it. So it is possible. And I think it is important from public perspectives and they talk to local authorities, the NHS, when, when they are in need for care or their loved ones are in need for care, that they understand that there are different options and they have rights to ask about different options. Interesting. And that's something that I hope to help people understand as, as we move through the latter part of this year and talk more and more about living care as a service. I do have one question though, and this, this came up in a bit of a debate on LinkedIn that I had, somebody was trying to egg me on a little bit. I won't mention the name. They were saying, do you charge the same amount for a local authority package as you do, do a private client? Well, I think this sort of stems from the belief by many because care homes tend to charge private clients more money than they get from a local authority for a bed in the same building. In terms of living care services, is it the same for a local authority as yeah. a, as a private client, the same cost? It is, it is, it is more work when you work with local authorities, because there may be some additional reporting that they require additional work to be done by, by the care team. But we don't differentiate our rates based on whether it's a private or, or publicly funded, because at the end of the day, it's the same service that we provide. So with those local authorities that they offer 
significantly lower rates. We just don't work with them because it is all about maintaining the high quality of care. And if we start cutting our costs, uh, it, it ultimately will have the impact on, on the quality of, of the service that we provide. And then on the other hand, there are local authorities who will pay, who are ready to pay, I would say, easily 20, 25% more than our weekly fees, but we still charge our rates because then it wouldn't be fair to straight away and go you know, and say, okay, I would charge Gavin this, but because you're happy to pay more, I will, pay, I will charge you more. Well, that's very kind of you. If I ever need your services, Greg, I know I'm going to get the right price. Thank you very much for, for being so honest with me. It's much appreciated. We're getting close to the end of our session today. Um, and it's been a very interesting one. Just tell people that are listening, why live in care? Why should they even think about live in care from, from your side of 10 years of delivering it? Why live in care? Because it is a great alternative to, to residential care. It is, it is one-to-one as, as we were talking about this one-to-one, you don't share your support with eight other people. You are not being visited for 30 minutes or 45 minutes by someone who just pop in and, and prepare a sandwich, which is okay. I'm not, I'm not saying that any of these other alternatives are, are bad. I'm just saying that this is alternative. It's available. Uh, you have this one-to-one support. Uh, it is tailor-made for, for your needs, to your routines, your preferences, likes, dislikes. How I like to look at this, uh, it's like when you are in the residential setting, You've got a menu. You need to choose what you want to, or, or, or just basically you're being told that today we are eating this, that, and the other. With living, it's your decision. You can ask, you, you can either cook together with the carer, or you can cook for the carer, or you can ask the carer that I would like to have a, a fish and chips today. So it's your choice. You have your family, your loved ones close to you, your friends, your neighbors. You can keep your pets, a local community. Uh, it's, uh, I think it's just a great alternative. Yes, I, I tend to agree. And if they want to skip breakfast, they don't need to worry that they're not going to eat at, a, at the next oh, time slot when the food is being made available. It's, it's yeah. fitting around their lives, isn't it, in many ways? Yeah, exactly. It makes it's exactly sense. Greg, it's been a pleasure. Uh, thanks Thank for your you time. Welcome. I'm sure that we'll be speaking again thanks for helping unravel some of the intricacies of the living care sector it certainly sounds as if people should know about it so keep on pushing with the government and in the local communities if somebody's interested in finding out more about promedica 24 and living care how do they find you you can go to our website, 24.co.uk. They can talk to one of our franchisees in the local area. So they're happy to, to pop in and explain more. It's not, it doesn't need to be over the phone. They are there. They can, they can visit, they can explain, they can talk, understand what are needs. So our franchisees are, are, are fully aware and they are knowledgeable about the service. And so, yeah, I would say go to our website. Talk to our care consultants and make an informed decision whether this is something that suits your needs or not. Greg, once again, thanks for your time. We'll speak Thank again. You very much. Thank you very much. Speak again soon. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to Chasing Care. I've been your host, Gavin Chase, and I've enjoyed your company. I'd like to take a couple of moments to thank our sponsors, Network Healthcare, a care provider that's been delivering care across communities for the last 21 years, and to Top Care Executive Search, a specialist recruitment agency that identifies the hard-to-find talent of registered managers in the UK. So, if you've enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe, follow, like, and of course share. You can always send us a message too. And if there's a subject that's really important to you and you'd like to come on Chasing Care and talk it through, then please get in touch. In the meantime, I look forward to speaking to you again soon and have a great day.